This is a podcast that contains spoilers, sensitive material, and acts of villainy. Listener discretion is advised. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Oh, right, for Christ's sake, why? Hey! Why? Why, because we fucking can! We don't submit to terror. I commit evil to destroy the greater evil. We make the terror. (laughs) Welcome to the World Domination Committee, a monthly podcast where we discuss villains from media and history, what makes a good villain, and what makes a bad villain better. I'm your host, Exala. Could I interest you in everything, everywhere, all at once? <sighs> Maybe tomorrow. I'm your other host, Trinzala, and I'm a bit existentially tired and would kill for a donut right now. A donut? With some coffee, I presume? So much coffee. So much coffee to get rid of the empty nothingness of this world. Oh... And you know what? There's also empty in nothingness. Our email inboxes. There's no feedback. What the fuck, guys? What? Come on, guys. Where are you? If you don't give us our feedback, we're going to come and hunt you down. I know where you live, or I will know where you live. We know where some of you live. <laughs> yeah, so give us feedback next time, or we will hunt you down. It's not a threat. It's a promise. And without further ado... Let's unveil who we are covering as our evil mastermind today. Aside from our listeners who were so evil and didn't leave us feedback. Motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, this time you are fuckers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, today's villain comes from the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, an award-winning sci-fi comedy and action movie directed by Daniels, also known as Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. The movie follows a mother, Evelyn Wong, traveling the multiverse to find meaning in its vast meaninglessness to reconnect with her daughter, Joy, a.k.a. Jobu Tupaki, today's villain. Hell yeah. Now, in the setup of this movie, Joy Wong is an ordinary lesbian student with a terse relationship with her mother. We'll get into that a little bit later. While her altered... Or I guess rather another ego is... Her super ego? Super ego. That's a good way to phrase it. Is Jobu Tupaki, who is a former multiverse jumper, multiversal terrorist, and extremist who really just wants to be understood. And what terrorist doesn't? (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) how did we discover this villain today? I believe this movie came out shortly after some COVID restrictions were lifting, like, I think last year. And so there was a lot of buzz about it. People hadn't been to movie theaters in a long time. And this weird film kind of popped out of the woodwork. I think I had seen on social media one of my friends, Bren, posting about how great it was and a few other people. And we figured, you know what? We can go to the theater. We haven't been here in a long time. And we took the journey. And boy, was it worth it. Oh, yeah. And like... At the time, like, just, like, the googly eyes, like, right in the middle of, like, the third eye position, which was, like, on the movie poster, like, was, like, super dope and kind of, like, quirky in just a way that, like, really piqued my interest. It it tickled my fancy so much. If you ever visited our apartment, there are googly eyes strewn about, and 
I also have a literally you are like the husband of googly bombing so yeah that really tickled our fancy I think one thing to note as well seeing it in cinema with other people after being apart from so many people so long there was a very palpable moment the scene where there are two rocks we will cover the plot don't worry but there is a very tangible scene no audio or no dialogue spoken just two rocks having a conversation and it got such a reaction from the audience of laughter and like even and then, to the point of jerking tears. No, like there was one part where they were just rocks and it was like like fucking hilarious. Like everyone was like dying laughter. And then like the movie goes on and then it cuts back to these rocks again. And just like in that time, I like I, the manliest man on earth. So macho. Had at least one single tear come single out of my crusty tear. desert eyeballs. You weren't the only one. There were many manly men with crusty eyeballs crying in the theater. So that's just kind of a, a a little taste at how much that movie holds. Without getting into the plot, it was phenomenally done. It captured a whimsy different than a Wes Anderson movie that really tugs at the heartstrings. So it was very profound when it came out. Obviously very profound during the Academy Awards, where it won a bunch of awards and was well worth it. Oh, yeah. And we didn't, like initially even think of this as uh, being something that we would cover as like having a villain. But one of our listeners, Lauren, actually suggested that we cover uh, Jobu Tubaki. And that's actually great because this might be a villain that's not evil. Yeah, I think we mentioned back in the Humbert Humbert episode about Lolita, we were like, maybe we need to cover a villain who's not evil. Any any suggestions? So we finally have a not evil villain, and also she's our first lady villain. So (laughs) yeah, represent the ladies. Ladies in the house tonight. (laughs) Gonna take over everything. (laughs) Everywhere, all at once. Exactly. To give credit where credit's due, of course, our sources today come from Everything Everywhere All at Once Villain Explained, Origin, Powers, and Plan by May Abul Abdul Baki. And, of course, the movie itself. Now, we may have a few tidbits from one of your favorite books as well. Gonna drop that in right now. Oh, yeah. It's called Looking at Philosophy, The Unbearable Heaviness of Philosophy Made Lighter, second edition, by Donald Palmer. It's a textbook. So, read it at your own risk. It's a textbook with cartoons, though, so. Yes. Let's get into it, I guess, then. Joy Wong is the daughter, of course, of Evelyn Wong and Wayman Wong, Chinese-American immigrants, who they moved, I believe, in the in the scope of the story, they moved to America 20 years ago in terms of chronology. So yeah, Joy has grown up, but they are Chinese-American, and they also have a relationship with their Chinese father, Gong Gong, or Joy's grandfather. Right. And at the beginning of the film, Joy is a student who is maybe secretly not so secretly kind of dropped out of school and his parents and alien grandfather are kind of living in this cramped apartment above their business which is a laundromat yeah now evelyn and i believe Wayman both run the laundromat together and from i think one of the first things we see of it is them going through the accounts which plays a huge role throughout the narrative and googly eyes yes of course of course Evelyn runs the finances of the laundromat, which is kind of in dire straits, but on top of that is also preparing for a Chinese New Year's party while her father, Gong Gong, is visiting. 
yeah, I, I can clearly see like an image of like my mom kind of doing the same. There's just like papers everywhere. It's like trying to account. It's like papers, receipts, and stack. And it all looks like like organized, but like chaos. Organized chaos. Yeah, you have your table with all of these stacks of stuff on it, and like anybody looking at that's like are you a hoarder? It's like, no, no, this is the this file, and this is the this file, and I have a system. But then, like, it's just like that, like, frustrated, like, like fingers on temples, like, sigh at, like, oh my god, what's going on? Yeah. So, anyway, the finances are in dire straits, to say the least. <laughs> and the laundromat is being audited by the IRS. Oh, so they fun. might, like, make it, like, if the, like everything goes normal, but the IRS is not gonna make things go normal. The IRS is not friendly. <laughs> No, it's the scariest gang in the United States. (laughs) That's one way to put it. Now, of course, as anyone would be being audited by the fucking IRS, Evelyn feels this stress, not only of the finances, of the performance of her business, of her family life, but also performing for her father. And in a way, well, to double back on that, actually, because her father is visiting, she wants to present good in front of him. Oh, yeah. Like, look how successful I am. Like, after moving. Yeah. I immigrated, you didn't support me, I'm doing fine on my own, look how great I am, but things are not great. And so she, in turn, passes this stress, this pressure, onto her daughter, Joy, who basically does not want to be around the family because of all of this pressure that's unwarranted for her, specifically. And this is where we start to get kind of our origins of where our villain would come from, as this is kind of a pattern that really emerges. Mm -hmm. So as Evelyn pressures uh, uh, Joy... It kind of sends Joy on a path of depression and anxiety, which she kind of feels hopeless and, or not hopeless, but helpless and lost. Mm-hmm. We see there's a shot when Joy is at the laundromat, her staring into basically an abyss, which is just a laundry machine, spinning in a cycle, looking absent and forlorn and lost, which is very symbolic later on. It's almost like when I like was in math class, there's points where I like I was like in second grade and I just completely didn't understand it like at all. So for enjoyment, I would just watch the clock to see like like count the seconds basically until like it would get out. TikTok, and it's just TikTok. like the abyss of like the clock slowly, slowly going. And actually, I did it so much I actually got in trouble and was banned from watching the clock in second How grade. Do you ban a second grader from watching a clock though. Like put blinders on that one. He can't look at the wall. I, I don't. I don't know. I I have been wrongfully accused. No, I was a shit disturber. Yeah. Well, I guess to get back into it, there are a lot of evident generational divides between Joy and her mother, and of course her mother and grandfather. We see in the first, I would say 30 minutes of the film, it's basically set up as a slice of life where we obviously know Evelyn is dealing with stress, Her husband is, and her daughter, Joy, is constantly bickering with her mother, not only due to personality and age difference, but also uh, an important part of this character is sexuality. Joy is a secure lesbian, but her mom wants to keep it on the DL because of granddad. Right, and so, like, Joy tries to introduce her girlfriend, Becky, like, early on to Gong Gong. She's like, I'm going to be proud. I'm going to do this. This is all going to go great. 
But Evelyn kind of brushes her off like really fast and says, oh, no, 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 this is just a friend. Because remember, she really wants to impress Gong Gong and also all the stress from finance. She's like, I just don't want to deal with this right now. Yeah. And I don't think that's the right approach either. And that kind of forms this crux of miscommunication between Joy and Evelyn. In this instance, Joy wanting to come out, but Evelyn not wanting to rock the boat is setting a bad precedent for Joy where she almost feels like maybe she is not she knows that she is in the right nothing is wrong with her but she feels shame from her mother the fact that her mother doesn't want her to be open i think yeah like she doesn't feel as if she's actually a part of the family she's just made into a character that's being used as like almost like a pawn or like a political figure for her mom's like whims and wishes instead of having like a more accepting family i guess you could say and to be fair like to give evelyn the benefit of the doubt like we said there's a lot of stresses on her plate she has this almost mask to present with her father doesn't make it right but we can kind of see where she's coming from as well and also she feels like a character because she feels like she can't actually be the successful immigrant daughter to prove to my dad that it was okay that i moved even though she doesn't quite feel that great about it right so you can see that like it's almost like a russian nesting doll of like generational trauma and yeah. putting on masks to please your parents yes awesome yeah that, that's actually a really good way to put it though the nesting doll yeah and so like evelyn feels like the pressure to keep up this facade for gong gong and like prove all of this but joy feels this alternative pressure she sees what her mom's going through i'm sure she empathizes with the pressure that her mom is under but her disconnect from her family which one would think would make her feel safe and loved. Instead, she internalizes this disconnect from them almost in this... Like, uh, like kind of like a... Almost like in the concept of, like, I have no mouth and I must scream. Right. Nothing is really coming across. There is... Although they're communicating at face value, there is no understanding to be had between mother, daughter, husband, grandfather. Yeah, they're almost, like, all trapped within themselves, and there's not an actual, like line of communication but just like shadows on the wall like like plato mm-hmm. like you know it's not actual reality it's just like a false representation of reality yeah. it's kind of dulled down actually that goes in perfectly with one of the other plot points because waymond the husband is having a very tricky relationship with evelyn because of all the stress she's under so he presents her with divorce papers but like you said this is the shadow on the wall though he doesn't actually want to divorce her he's kind of using it as an ultimatum in a way like hey we need to reevaluate our relationship we need to talk about this however evelyn's so in her own world trying to deal with everything everywhere all at once she doesn't even (laughs) see the divorce papers as divorce papers she just sees some weird notes on the back it's like yeah yeah honey another paper to file yeah like where is it going i'll put it in this stack (laughs) so we have Evelyn and Wayman go to the IRS audit kind of thing. Yay, and what a fun day. Yay! It's almost as fun as the DMV. Woo! <laughs> With the Vogons there. <laughs> I love me some good old Vogons. Anyway, Evelyn basically gets her, like, ripped a new ass by this agent, uh, Deidre, uh, Bo... Deirdre Bobeirdre. Je pas français. Oh, wait. Et tu brutus? Yeah. Wee oui, wee oui, baguette. <laughs> anyway, um, 
she gets ripped a new ass by uh, Daedra for trying to like claim unnecessary like business expenses, kind of like a karaoke machine, like in the laundromat. And she's like, "Why do you have a karaoke machine in the laundromat? That doesn't make any sense. You're supposed to do laundry, not yeah. sing." She's basically calling out a bunch of these random things that Waymond explains away as like, "Oh, Evelyn has a lot of hobbies she considers businesses." And I think they're kind of playing off the oh oh oopsie silly immigrant mistake. Yeah. Now, to their credit, though, the IRS is confusing enough in their documentation and requirements, which are all in English. I know they have other translated options, but even just me being English first language, reading through IRS documentation, it is not English. So being ESL would make it harder, even if well, it's as an engineer, I can say. I can't figure it out. So someone completely lost the plot there. It's just like spaghetti code of like rules and regulations everywhere that I, no one knows in its like entirety. I've even worked with tax experts that read through IRS documents and go, I don't know what the fuck it's saying. Maybe they're shitty tax experts, but... This torture disguised as an IRS meeting. Well, I guess like most meetings are torture disguised as Fair. things. Uh, Wayman is suddenly possessed and taken over by a different entity entirely. One called... Alpha Waymond. Why is he called the Alpha Waymond? Is it because he's like the alpha male version? No, no, no. Much cooler. He's a furry wolf. Yep. <laughs> anyway. He's not actually a furry, guys. No, no, no. It's like this weird multiverse thing when he's like the first Waymond to jump timelines, weird sci fi. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah. Anyway, he awakens um, basically. The consciousness of this multiverse existing inside of Evelyn. Exactly. He informs her there's a chaotic version of Joy out there who is hunting her down, who is known as Alpha Joy. Wait, is that like an alpha woman? <laughs> is, it, is she also a furry? <laughs> no, it's it's the first verse version of joy like the same like alpha waymond alpha joy there is an alpha timeline so we know of one alpha person and that there is the existence of another joy from this timeline so anyway evelyn is taught by waymond how to jump or like alpha waymond we're just going to kind of change like do them interchangeably yeah because he does possess and relinquish control yeah and on and off it's kind of like a uh a ghost movie yeah, like a shared housing, like condominium, like, you know, weird, but it's like your body. Anyway, it's fun. So anyway, he teaches her how to, like, jump into these different universes. So, like, how to possess and unpossess. And basically, like, gather these kind of, like, skills, like, from across the multiverse. But basically, it's done through, like, this weird Bluetooth device. And you have to, like do like these really weird tasks that statistically shouldn't make sense in your universe or timeline like putting paper cuts on all of your fingers or like eating chapstick or having a dildo up your ass right basically something to kind of disrupt the sine wave that would be normal so that like it collapses and the multiverse is like switch or like it's switched around in some weird bizarre way yeah so by harnessing the bluetooth having it load up you do a weird action press your buttons you're in yeah, it's like the Matrix, except uh, instead of going to like the telephone, like back in the old days, landlines. Oh, you poor fuckers! Some of you don't even know what a landline is. Oh, I feel bad. Actually, I don't. No, landlines were the worst. <laughs> no one wants to hear your call, Becky. Anyway, well, no kid wants their parent eavesdropping on their call. Yeah. 
Anyway, after Evelyn has this huge paradigm shift from Alpha Women, shit goes down at the IRS meeting, obviously, as shit does at an IRS meeting. But with this new knowledge and some baddies on the horizon, Evelyn goes all Bruce Lee by channeling a kung fu master personality that she has basically possessed and she uses this knowledge of kung fu to defend herself and alpha women against goons thus getting in hot water with the irs auditors and of course cops that were called but bum bum ba she is then introduced to the notorious tupaki woo yeah baby and tupaki enters elegantly and like with a very intimidating force where she arrives with like pink-haired Elvis, like, excellent costume. And a and, pig on a leash. Oh, yes, and a pig on a leash. And then the cops suddenly are confetti and no more. It's a very elegant introduction and very striking to see normal college girl joy and then alpha joy, this bombastic chaotic force. It's and, a complete switch of personality. Yeah. Like, one, like, in the, uh, timeline in which we are currently in the joy that we are talking about is not meek but kind of feels like you mentioned sub- earlier she yeah she, she feels subpar but she's also or like submersed or like sub like like underwater almost i mean depression will do that to you she's a little bit more toned down whereas this alpha joy character we don't know in, why yet shit up. she is unfettered and ready to go fearless like, stands with confidence, like, yeah, bitch, what you gonna do? Now, shortly after this introduction with Alpha Joy, Evelyn learns that in many other universes, she herself has a completely different and often more successful life. Basically, like the kung fu master that she was able to learn skills from, and a movie star, also a chef, ratatouille joke. Ratatouille! Um, <laughs> ratatouille! Um, she also- <laughs> Raccoonanity. Yes. I wish the Green Brothers would respond to me. One day. One day. One day. <laughs> but yeah, this kind of explained that like all of these things are like if you like make one small choice in your life, like you go into a completely different kind of lifestyle. The butterfly effect. Yeah, it's the butterfly effect. And so if like you look one way versus the other, your life path will change. So by learning how to do this first jumping, she can access these different versions, these alternate timelines, which I feel like it would be kind of depressing being like, oh, I can go to these other timelines and seeing yourself like doing much better. You're like, great, awesome. I'm in the worst timeline. (laughs) Kind of like if uh, like tomatoes were never a thing, I might be a chef. I mean, you can still be a chef and just not use tomatoes. Uh, Their their existence makes me not like food. (laughs) Well, like we said, she learned she has these different lives. But she also learns the truth about Wayman's divorce papers. So at the beginning, before the IRS audit, she gets this stack of papers, put it in the vault, put it in the file. It just has some instructions on the back. But she finally sees request for divorce and... It hits her like a ton of bricks. Yeah, exactly. Alpha Followed Wayman... by that... Huh? Followed by that, here's another ton of bricks. Yes, Alpha Wayman just informs Evelyn that he thinks that she is the greatest failure of all the Evelyn's. Way to be a confidence boost, man. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, you're the worst one of all infinite possibilities. Just, you know, take that. Good job. How's your IRS meeting going? But because she's the worst, 
that makes her kind of the only one that can defeat like Jobu Tubaki. Maybe because she's so far of a statistical anomaly of being horrible. I think also it's the potential to, uh, I guess, be a jack of all trades slash master of none. Right. Jake the dog once said, the first step at being sort of good at something is sucking at it. So maybe she sucks so much that there are infinite possibilities for her to be sort of good at it. And maybe she's just kind of sort of good at everything, everywhere, all at once, you could say. Anyway, Alpha Gong Gong, so Alpha Grandpa coming in. We got all the Alphas. The it's an Alpha Squad. Family, the Alpha Family. Uh, which instructs Evelyn that she has to, like, basically kill Joy in order to stop, like, Jobu Tabaki from, like, using her to, like, enter this universe. Yeah. So, Evelyn's Joy. Alpha Granddad says, kill your daughter because we don't want Alpha Joy taking her over and fucking things up. If it was the Matrix going and killing their real body so they can't interfere with the Matrix system inside the system, man. Yeah, man. And obviously, Evelyn refuses. She's like, kill my daughter? No, stupid. Get out. Get out of here. She decides instead that she's going to face this Alpha Joy by gaining powers through repeatedly verse jumping. Cue magical girl transformation. Da-da-da-da! Anyway, this leads, like, Alpha Gongong to, like, send all the goons after Evelyn, believing that she's been corrupted and a part of Jobu Tubaki's mastermind evil plan. So, while they fight, Jobu basically kills Alpha Waymond. Dun-dun-dun! Trying to end your bloodline, I guess? I mean, in a way. like, so if we were covering Evelyn, that's, like, mentor, like, killed, like, really fast. But, thankfully... Yeah, true. Yeah, and so, like... She's still kind of left in the dark and doesn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Like she only got like a part. She of knows teachings. the basic skills. I can verse jump. I don't really know that much else about what's going on. What y'all's background is? I just know this Jobu lady's after me, and Alpha Gong Gong is not my friend anymore. Right? Because like, dead. yeah, and they have like all these like rules and protocols and like stipulations, and she's like, fuck that, and then just like does whatever she wants anyway. Yeah. As Jobu confronts Evelyn in her own universe. Her mind splinters, which grants her access to all multiverses. Now, yeah, I would it's imagine important to say because, like, they're like, "Okay, you can't do this. This is gonna like fuck up your mind." Yes, and she's yes. like, "I don't care." Well, I don't think she's like, "I don't care." It happens because she doesn't super know how to protect herself against that, or like properly follow the chain of command for jumping. Like, she, like you just said, she only has a little bit of knowledge from Alpha Wayman before he gets. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Get put in the river. Anyway. <laughs> it's not too far-fetched to believe that she's lost, she's trying to figure it out on her own, and fucks up along the way. So, basically, Evelyn and Jobu then start jumping through multiple timelines really fast, um, just like going from timeline to timeline to timeline, kind of fighting. Mm-hmm. And we learn more of Alpha Joy's origins. And it parallels that of Joy, but with some much darker implications. Yes. So we've already established that Joy has this intergenerational trauma and kind of has this threshold she wants to cross, at least with her family, of coming out to her grandfather, being her authentic self to her mom, and not feeling the pressure around her family. Now, with Alpha Joy, or Tupaki, her threshold in trauma is 
that while growing up in the Alphaverse with this verse-jumping technology, she was dangerously pushed to explore the technology without any recovery time. Basically, like what we just described with Evelyn, not having much time to get a hold of what's going on and fracturing your consciousness, it she was pushed to the brink of unsafety under the tutelage and force of her mentor. Who, her mentor was emotionally abusive and a mad scientist. The one, the only, Alpha Evelyn. Ah, the Alpha family of is course. finally complete. Yes, yes. And Alpha Evelyn basically wanted Alpha Joy to be the best at doing this jumping. Just like really pressuring. Kind of like how um, Michael Jackson's dad just like basically mm. broke Michael Jackson by just like pushing him harder and harder and harder. Was he good at music? Yes, but was it worth it, though, Mm -hmm. for all the other emotional damage that came afterwards? Hard to say. Maybe we'll have to cover Mr. Jackson in the future. We might have to cover Mr. Jackson. That might be a really interesting topic, actually. Well, with Alpha Joy feeling this pressure to be perfect, the best jumper, it didn't lead to anything good for her. In my mind, watching this, it felt kind of like the adult gifted and talented kid scenario where when you're in school you're like all right you're gifted you're gonna take these weird classes do this weird curriculum we're gonna challenge your brain you have so much potential you have so much going for you ah let's do it let's do it you get through this rigmarole of education and i i think that's great for kids but there is this kind of side effect that happens with a lot of GT kids where when you hit adulthood, you're so used to this constant pressure and the constant expectations being put on your head that you feel like you are never enough, regardless of what you do. Even if you're a neurosurgeon, even if you're a politician or an artist or an engineer, a lot of GT kids have this experience of it's not enough and I will never be enough. And I think that's what Joe. I'm not feels. good enough. I can't do this. Exactly. Just like constantly on a loop, even if it's just somewhere really quiet in the back of their brain. Mm-hmm. It's or like, like a bug in your code that kind of stays with you. I wouldn't say it's for all GT kids, but that's a common thread I've heard for so many of them. Yeah. And it can reach like this, like almost breaking point, kind of like a bit similar to like Ender's game mm-hmm. with uh, Ender kind of going like AWOL. Yeah. So, with this threshold, with this trauma, and her mentor's relationship, I I think that Alpha Joy having this pressure really encapsulates that. That was a rant, but I think she captures the GT Kid vibe really well. Yeah, 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 of course. Alpha Joy also has another mentor, which is kind of a little bit more abstract, and this other mentor is literally, like, everything pure experience itself from her training as julius caesar would say experience is like the teacher of all things julius oh, of caesar. course you'd put a caesar reference <laughs> <laughs> i love me a good dictator <laughs> to be fair though like with her having this training like jack in jack out jack off <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> with her having all of this experience of verse jumping i think that is a lot so yeah like you said everything she sees all of her timelines she sees all of everybody else's timelines too she's like sensory overload she knows when she's a rock she knows when she's been like an octopus she knows when she's been um an anime literally everything she's seen it all and then like it'll become kind of like rote after a while because Uh, uh, i wouldn't say it's rote because eventually it leads to her revelation and death True. Which is pretty fast in a villain's arc, but yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. The constant verse jumping and her mom's pressure led Alpha Joy to like split her consciousness across the entire multiverse, like spraying out like a virus, infecting like every single node, yeah, becoming every iteration of her. Yes, every single iteration all coming together and the splintering becoming once again whole into Jobu Tubaki due to Evelyn's basically unrealistic expectations. Alpha Evelyn specifically, the yes, mad Alpha. scientist mom, but yeah. Yes, the evil scientist one. <laughs> one thing that I found was interesting to note is that when main timeline Evelyn is interacting with Alpha Joy or Tupaki, she thinks that her Joy is gay because she's possessed by Tupaki. Obviously, such a mom thing to like. The demons are in you. Right? Like it, that's jokey, but we've seen that Evelyn is like mostly okay, but trying to pass stuff off. But these few like offhanded, a little bit manipulative statements like, oh, you're the reason that my Joy is gay is very dismissive and alpha joy goes oh so you're homophobic in this timeline too it's kind of like implying that there are some timelines where evelyn is chill sometimes where she is eventually chill sometimes where she is not it's a weird dynamic obviously it's not the case that alpha joy is possessing the joys to make her gay and she communicates that i just thought it was an interesting element tying back to joy's queerness being a weird relationship factor, not a make or break deal, but definitely a point of contention between them that transcends universes. Yeah, I also think that it helps tie together some of the identities or some characteristic traits that are pretty common through, you could say, a statistically majority of Evelyn's or a majority mm -hmm. of Joy's. Something that Evelyn must have a majority of is kind of that nitpickiness picking on small things or being very blunt yeah she made a comment earlier on i think when joy was trying to introduce her girlfriend becky to gong gong it's like oh no not right now you should be happy that i'm like a progressive mom you should be happy that i'm cool with you dating a girl especially a white girl so like offhanded comments like that kind of like we'll put down rating exactly exactly so anyway finally untethered from like the grounding points everywhere Alpha Joy, now Tupaki. Basically, he comes an all-powerful... Omnidimensional being. A reality bender, yes. you could say. Yeah, I think that's actually a TV trope. Really? Yeah, it's a power like called reality bending or, or something along those lines. I yeah. erase time! Bam! But, yeah, I mean, she turned cops into confetti and then like changes outfits like on the split. Like, one time she's goth, and then sometimes she's like... I think like, that's her in different universes, actually. Yeah, but she uses that, like, they're all her because mm -hmm. all the universes are kind of come together in, like, this yeah. super ego. With her split, it has merged together, like you mentioned earlier. Along with this, Tubaki can now simultaneously access each multi-version of herself, tapping into their consciousnesses of every version across the multiverse at will. And her, like, other powers, like, not only include bending of reality, but without the need for the alphaverse tech. Yeah, the like, she just has, like, tooth headphone things. Yeah, she doesn't need to, like, wire in. She doesn't need to go full Matrix. She's basically become the Neo of this weird multiverse kind of thing and, like, all of its vastness. And she can tap into that and see all of it. Shortly after her death, of course, she encounters a rebirth or a transformation. Alpha Joy transforming into Jobu Tupaki kind of shows her shift 
we know throughout many of the universes she's had this weird relationship of control and trying to please her mother, but her fracturing and refragmenting into Tupaki shows that she's had this transformation into someone that finally controls not only themselves, but the entirety of the multiverse. So she's gone from people pleaser, I have these issues with my mom too, no fucks given, I have it all, I control it all. She has this love-hate, like, pullback relationship with her mom that is kind of weird and i can see it kind of like almost developing into something like borderline personality disorder or something that can form into that and for people that don't know what like border personality disorder is yeah how do you characterize that yeah i'm just gonna like read like a like a google search result here with borderline personality disorder you have like an intense fear of abandonment and instability you can kind of see that Check. yeah like yeah <laughs> exactly um, and you may have difficulty tolerating being alone, yet inappropriate anger, impulsiveness, and frequent mood swings may push others away. And even though you want to have a loving and long-lasting relationships, those could be endangered. I think we kind of see that with the formation of Tupaki, not only like with her costume design, but there's this characterization of her portrayal throughout the movie where she acts very like a petulant child or adolescent teenager impulsively controlling things as she wishes, not really caring about the repercussions. But then something like switching to mature. Yeah, in a way. Like mature and then immature and like constantly swinging back and forth. the, The back and forth, but also this entirety of like wanting to find her mother, but also not wanting to be connected to her mother in any way. Yeah, she pushes her away, but she's afraid of almost being abandoned by her mother again through almost all the timelines. Maybe that's a connecting thread that uh, Jobu Tupaki found with all the joys. Mm. Now, this is a little bit later than we typically cover in a villain's arc, but we can see after this transformation that Tupaki's temptations or motivations are basically caused by her ability to see through this vastness of time and space. It plants this seed of nihilism that causes Tupaki to believe that nothing in the world matters, and that's a driving force for her more villainous actions that we will come across later. So after having her brain fractured, after seeing everything, this seed is planted that continues her character arc towards nothingness. Exactly. Like, if everything exists, then it kind of, like, nothing means anything, because, like, You've already done it somewhere. Why do anything? Because you can just, like, go, boom, I'm there. I've already done this. Like, nothing really means anything. It's also a statistical anomaly. It's going to happen. I've been a rock. I've been a pinata. I've seen it all. I've done it all. Yeah. There's nothing unique I can do. Everything was already put before me. I had no choice ever, really. It was all going to happen anyway. And so, Tupaki kind of uses this as a weapon, in a way, and wields her abilities with such ease, going wherever she pleases and harming anyone who gets in her way or annoys her. After the shift, we see these actions that she starts to get a little bit more haywire, and after Alpha Joy becomes Tupaki, she declares war on the Alphaverse, killing the Alpha Evelyn and creating a small army of first jumpers, assisting her in the search to find the right Evelyn. And what is the right Evelyn? Eh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. But anyway, this hunt for the right Evelyn is Tupaki trying to find the one who agrees with her nihilistic ideas. Yeah, so seeing somebody who is also having these temptations and motivations and understanding, I think understanding is also a key motivation for Tupaki. Yes, it is 
an understanding that she is seeking. Seeking someone that can just finally make her not alone. Going back to that abandonment thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to be seen. And if no one's ever been like Tupac, he's ever been to everywhere. She was the first one. She's been the only one. No one has gone as far as Tupac, who's been pressed to the brink mm-hmm. and seen just... If you see everything, you almost see the vast emptiness of how much is out there. And she wants to convey that with the person who has known her the longest, which is her mother. Even if it's not her mother from the same timeline, she's looking for the right Evelyn that will understand. And in this case, it's the Evelyn who's the worst at everything. (laughs) Or kind of like semi-alright at a bunch of things, but, you know, not a good expert in any one thing. And so... This Evelyn is essentially poised to defeat Tupaki, but eventually we learn that Tupaki just really wants her Evelyn to understand her, to connect, to have almost like a loving relationship. Joy wants her mom to just accept her, really. Exactly. Thus, in her quest, Tupaki's powers kind of grow, and she begins to like create an unimaginable object, which is everything. And you know what the shape of everything is? It's a Taurus, obviously. Oh, I was going to say the internet, but that's not a shape. <laughs> actually, kind of like the multiverse is actually shaped kind of like the internet with like different nodes connecting in different mm, certain branches, ways. Branches, synapses, so like a brain. Yeah, kind of like a brain, <laughs> like neurons and whatnot. Yeah, that's fair. They also depict that on the little like Matrix-y style screens when people are trying to verse jump. Like, all right, here's the next branch you can hop to. Bloop, bloop. Yeah, connecting to all of the like different branches. But if you looked at it in like a huge macro, it's like a Taurus or basically a bagel. That's how they convey it. Bagel it's a, or a it's donut, a, depending a, on how you look at it. It's a bagel's donut. I mean, technically a bagel is just like a really boring donut. It's a savory donut. Yeah. Yeah. So in this attempt to understand the meaning of everything, especially like life, 42, you know, the whole the whole shindig, Tupaki put everything that she knew in the multiverse, every idea, every thought, everything she could think of, Onto a pizza. It's like putting in, like, anchovies. Oh, I was thinking pizza. That's what I would make. I make a pizza. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to grab pizza after this. But anyway, she puts everything onto the bagel. It would be, like, kind of like, you ever go to a fast food restaurant or something like that that has, like, fountain drinks? And you get, like, dark pepper. You do the cocktail where you mix everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so gross, but, like, it's so fun as a kid. You felt like you were, like, a total badass. It's also kind of interesting because when it is described that she created the bagel, it's a montage of internet interstitials. She starts initially by describing, I put my childhood hopes and dreams, then my report cards, you cut to the interstitials, I put every ad on Craigslist, every breed of dogs. It gets into this weird, like... She puts concepts. Absurd, yeah, concepts of everything to the point of absurdity from tangibility into this bagel, which doesn't end great because it becomes the event horizon in Tupaki's arc. Her everything bagel creation turned out just to be a toroid black hole, like you said, the Taurus, but a force of destruction, annihilating everything near it, affirming her belief that nothing mattered. You put everything in the world into something to create something beautiful, something novel, something interesting but it just destroys everything that it touches. It just gets sucked out. It loses its meaning. Yeah, which is a very dark message. Now, to lighten that up, I would say, what's worse when asking what's the answer to life, the universe, and everything? Building a quantum computer that will only output the number 42, or building a nihilistic black hole everything bagel? 
I mean, it's pretty badass. Yeah, true. Like, that's the, the most emo thing. Like, everything bagel, goth bagel. And I think it kind of destroys things in a very bizarre way. I would actually say that the bagel itself is everything without the distinguishment of, like, oneself or a particular thing and without nothing for it to reflect upon besides just itself. It can only see itself. It becomes stasis of being that remains, like, completely unchanged. Well, yeah, and because, always. because of the uh, Torrey shape of it, it is like the Ouroboros. No beginning, no end. So if you can't see anything, if you can't believe in anything, if you believe nothing is there, that's all there is. Exactly. So it's not really destroying so much as like the heat death of the universe where everything is just still in stasis and there is no change or structure so it's destroyed in a way that it really just destroys meaning rather than the object itself if Krispy Kreme was in the worst timeline (laughs) after the creation of the everything bagel and after Tupaki's realization that nothing matters or was worth fighting for at least according to the bagel philosophy because there's no meaning, she kind of fell into an extreme form of the depression that we see in Joy from the main timeline. She feels lost and aimless and has no connection with anyone or anything and wants to succumb to this black hole and give into the nothingness, killing herself. In the movie, she admits, quote, I was going to see if I could escape, like actually die, unquote kind of like a god is dead sort of thing like go on Nietzsche on it (laughs) she was not actually trying to destroy everything but rather herself to see if she could finally die in every verse and kind of relinquish herself of the torture and just kind of go into that heat death of where Mm. it's not like constantly maybe jumping or knowing everything that's going on in every like verse i imagine if any being were to reach a point of immortality that would be the end result just getting so fed up with everything like can i cease to exist trying to live so long that you just die almost that are like for vampires ah i'm tired of this i've been alive for a millennia i'm going to go out in the sunlight now goodbye goodbye yeah also a costume note for this interaction with Jobu and the bagel, the closer to the bagel that she gets, or at least mentally speaking, the closer to this nihilism, this wanting to destroy herself, the more absurd her costumes get. And I think that is intentional because the closer she gets to relinquishing control or wanting to cease to exist, the more absurd her outlook on life looks. But the constant in her costume design is that regardless of how crazy and zany her costumes are, her makeup always resembles tears, which is kind of that core of joy of Jobu. There's this profound sadness and lack of understanding that is depicted through part of her costume and makeup. I'd also say it reminds me a bit of, maybe not necessarily a direct nod, but maybe a a nod to the concept. The Joker movie, the most recent one in, uh, what was it? 2020, I think. Yeah, somewhere around 2020. Yeah. Which more represents kind of nihilism on a society level or a Mm -hmm. much smaller scale, but also still has the kind of the tears, the meaninglessness, the like kind of helplessness that's expressed in nihilism. Yeah, I guess like with the absurd costumes, it is the sad clown look. The Joker is a sad clown. Not saying that Jobu is a clown, but a lot of her costumes are so outré that they look out of the realm of normality that most people would think might be clownish. 
but there's also the teardrop motif, the bleeding makeup for Joker. They both kind of rhyme with each other, but they achieve a different thing. Yeah, they go in a bit of different directions, but at some point they do kind of express this nihilistic outlook mm-hmm. of uh, basically what we just said. Existence, hopelessness in life. However, with uh, Jobu Tubaki, when she's on the brink of self-destruction and she's about to cross this threshold inside the everything bagel, she explains her intentions to Evelyn in order to like try to get that final connection and understanding and get her to come with her into death or yeah. uh, meaninglessness and like join her and to finally be one and fully connect on a level that's really deep it's that last moment of understanding that you could possibly have almost not she doesn't want to die alone yeah and it's kind of tragic in a way because like oftentimes when someone will commit suicide that's all on your own you get rid of your stuff beforehand you don't give inklings jobu has been hinting not explicitly that she wants to die but at this point she is being the most vulnerable with a version of her mother i want to die i don't want to go it alone do you feel the same as me? Will you go gentle into this good night with me? And so that's kind of where we're at. But Evelyn's kind of on the fence with this, would you say? Yeah, she reevaluates her life stance of feeling meaningless with her marriage, feeling like she can't communicate with her daughter or her father, feeling underwater with the IRS and the laundromat and not meeting any of her potential. Like, oh yeah, yeah she's the I'm worst in the one. worst timeline. Great. What am I doing here? What is my worth? This was all meaningless anyway. So I'm not supposed to stop Jobu Tobaki. I like how would I stop? Like, yeah, you she's know? my daughter. She's making some good points here. So she's very much swayed by this dark temptation of the bagel of nothingness. But at this point, us as viewers can see that Jobu trying to communicate with Evelyn is almost asking for her mom to talk her off the ledge. Yeah, she wants to get to a point of understanding, but there's kind of also this direeness within Tupaki of like, I want to go. Help me. Yes. It's like the yeah. last reach out. Exactly. Kind of like that phone, that weird phone call you get at 3 a.m. This is my last resort. Right. And it's subtextual. This is my last resort. No. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I had to. Now, at this point, Evelyn is about to accept Tupaki's nihilistic ideas. She wants to be with her daughter. She doesn't quite get everything. She wants to make her feel less alone if she can. So she's about ready to join Tupaki in the bagel. But she has a paradigm shift reflecting on these realities she's experienced that her family is worth fighting for. And I saw that one of the things that made her kind of realize this was, oddly enough, the googly eyes. Mm-hmm. And how Waymond is always kind of like, even if things are tough and hard, he just wants to put some googly eyes to make things silly again. Put it on the dryer in front of the out-of-order sign. Putting it on a baseball bat or on some ceiling lights. Just kind of a, heh, get a little laugh out of it. Yeah, and Wayman has not like really been like a huge force and mostly an annoyance for Evelyn. Um, He's also been her mentor, but Alpha Wayman. Alpha Wayman instead of uh, this Wayman. But looking at her Wayman, she sees... That he's actually really strong in the inside. And she just- also sees that of every Wayman throughout all the timelines. Even though they're different, in her movie star timeline, she had been broken up from him. But he comes to see her at the premiere and is a force of support, even though she's questioning, like, what if I were with you? He's like, meh. But he's always there offering a force of optimism. And I think that's 
very, very important. He has hope when everything seems hopeless. Mm -hmm. And so when Evelyn kind of sees this, Evelyn tries to repair all of the damages that her nihilism kind of caused in other uh, multiverses. I I would also like to interject that it's symbolic when she tries to repair this damage right before she goes from trying to fight all the baddies, trying to fight all of Tupaki's goons, all of Alpha Gong Gong's goons. She sees the googly eye that reminds her of how wholesome Wayman is and puts it on her metaphorical third eye and shifts from fighting everyone to loving everyone. And that's including herself even. Mm-hmm. She also realizes that she was causing her daughter a lot of pain due to all these unrealistic expectations, both on herself, her daughter, Waymond. Maybe that's why she can kind of see that Waymond has like this joyousness to him because beforehand she was putting all these expectations on him mm-hmm. and she wasn't seeing the love that he has on the inside. And once she saw that, she realized that she also needs to kind of embody some of that love. Once she loves herself, she can understand like maybe this was an answer to this kind of nihilistic outlook or at least a beginning path. And maybe right. if she... It's a different branch. Yeah. And maybe she can show um, Joy or Jobu Tabaki this just as Wayman did for her. Yeah. In the verse that we started the film in, Evelyn at the Chinese New Year party, she is hosting for her laundromat, her community, her father. She confronts her father, Gong Gong, saying, it's okay if you can't be proud of me because I finally am. And I think that this is a big turning point. She's put on this googly eye. She's seen that love and acceptance is what will get people out of their darkest if you can actually talk to people about it. And in a way, by doing this, confronting her father, she's setting a better example for her daughter going, you don't need approval. I don't need approval. We can be who we are. And if people don't like that, then somebody will. And I'll have support. It breaks out of the Russian doll or showing that she doesn't have to be part of this one big unit. She can actually just be an individual and be proud of it. Even if she has a crack on her Russian doll thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> she can make like, you know, her own version of whatever that is. Maybe uh, chip it off so it doesn't fit entirely correct, but it kind of is unique and sells as a collector item one day. Yeah. She's asserting her autonomy to her father And like I said, sets a good example for Joy. To set her autonomy with... Basically, not fully unbreaking that generational trauma, but at least going, here's a place we can start to undo what we have done to each other. Yes, and in a way, kind of like letting her go conceptually without letting her go emotionally Mm -hmm. and uh, like loving that aspect of her, but like also kind of not chaining her down to what she thinks that she needs to be or has the concept it's kind of like starts glare of when um you're observed by someone else you're almost imprisoned by their perception true of you know whatever it is inside of their head beauty's in the eye of the beholder they say and so i think evelyn here is kind of basically showing joy or jobu tabaki that you can be not entirely but like almost released from this gaze or give yourself permission to kind of undo your chains. I think it's acknowledging that the gaze exists, but if you yourself can go, it doesn't matter, then that's when you'll be truly free. So you first have to acknowledge that you yourself don't care about these chains. In a way, it's a form of optimistic nihilism. Your view doesn't matter on me. I can be truly free. 
or use my perception to change that perception to something that I would like to be more. Yeah. Thus, Evelyn reconciles with Wayman, accepts Joy's relationship, and comes clean to her father about it. Finally. She even befriends Deidre, who actually showed up <laughs> at the laundromat to collect the taxes. Yeah, it was kind of dramatic with the cops. We're seizing your property. Evelyn signs the divorce papers and bashes the windows, but then in a dramatic turn of events, she sits down and kind of talks with everyone about what's going on. She smokes weed with the IRS agent. I she will say, actually- Wayman did convince her. He used his powerful yes. convincing skills. <laughs> don't, don't, not all of Evelyn's credit. No, no. They kind of finally come to a point of understanding, or at least Evelyn comes to a point of understanding the existence in the weird multiverse around her and how it connects with her and what her place is in all of it. But not all is hunky-dory quite yet, because Joy and Jobu are still grappling with their feelings of nihilism and non-acceptance. I would actually say at this point, Evelyn changes to a different perspective, but we'll get into it. So I think right now at this point... It's actually two different warring um, perspectives. It is nihilism and another new perspective that shares aspects, but oh. is not entirely there. Do you want to share a pray tell? We'll get into it later. Okay. okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't want to go on a two later. million year rant. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, at the same time, in the alternate universe where Tupaki is reigning supreme, she has not fully grappled with everything yet. Neither has Joy. Not everything is great for this character. Her mom is figuring shit out, but she still needs help. However, she enters the bagel in the universe, slipping into that nihilistic black hole. Disintegrating. Yeah, and it's kind of heartbreaking to watch, just falling, not even reaching out, like asking for a hand of help. She just goes full force. Full force, and in the main verse that we talk about, Joy tells Evelyn, just let me go. Which she already did conceptually. Yeah, and it's not in the way, at least the way that the delivery is with Joy. As far as I understood, she's like, let me go. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Cut me off. Whereas Joy is like, no, I don't have expectations on you anymore. So there's still not communication fully. I think there is communication, but now it's gone from being non-communication on both sides to being a one-sided miscommunication from uh, Joy or uh, Tupaki. Mm-hmm. Well, at this point where Tupaki has fallen into the bagel and Joy is wanting to drive away and leave her mom, Evelyn makes her verbal stand. Yes, and before she goes, she makes you know that great protagonist monologue to her daughter for one final time. Joy, Tupaki, nothing matters. Absolutely. She affirms her daughter's feelings. Your feelings are valid. Not only her feelings, her concepts, her worldview, and at, maybe at this point, Tupaki's identity that nothing mm. matters. And then she goes, nothing matters, and at the same time, I'd rather not be anywhere else than with you. I see, I understand, I connect, and nothing matters, but that connection... Nothing matters with you. And that's kind of freeing in a way. Yeah. It calms Tupaki down and basically saves her. When she's at the point of no return from succumbing to the black hole bagel, we see a hand reach out from the darkness towards Evelyn. Finally, that moment. Yeah. She has been subtly asking for redemption. 
and understanding and has received it. And in the main verse, Joy doesn't drive away in a huff, but gives her mom a last hug to reconcile. And, you know, usually we don't really like heroes on this podcast, but Evelyn does save the day with the power of love. I think there was two crusty tears that came out of my eyes that moment. Well, that wraps up our overview of Tupaki, Joy, and Evelyn, of course, in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And it didn't really matter that we gave you this overview, but... Yeah, you could have just watched the fucking movie, or read a Wikipedia or something, but... I would rather not be anywhere else than right here talking to you motherfuckers. Infiltrating your earbuds or speakers. (laughs) Alright, time for the ad read. Are you part of an interdimensional crime syndicate? Are you a supporter of tax evasion, money laundering, or fraud? Don't let your sticky hot dog fingers get you into hot water with the IRS. Visit irs.finance today to reconcile with your misdeeds and pay off your tax debts, regardless of your plan of the multiverse. Our team of IRS audit experts, led by Deidre Bobidra, will help you get the audit representation you need, but don't deserve. The World Domination Committee holds no street liability for taking sides with warring members. This includes any nation-state actors as they are considered unlawful gangs under the agreement of 1832. All financial services will be provided with the initial 80% of legal tender provided back to the consumer and back within 30 days. If services are not rendered in this time range, then 5% monthly interest will be added to the amount owed until the council has settled and or made a sacrifice of your choice. <laughs> and we're back. So let's get into the villain's arc overview. Joy or um, Tupaki's like, threshold or trauma is the forced exploring of the jumping tech without like any recovery time especially paired with the pressure to be perfect by her emotionally abusive mad scientist mentor mother alpha evelyn emotional damage now yeah, as we mentioned, am i am i am i hippo with the youths yet uh hello fellow youths it, it, it is me your boy <laughs> anyway as we just mentioned, her mentor was partially Alpha Evelyn. Or also, also everything. Yeah, exactly. Like all experiences that all Joys had. Yeah, with that fracturing, seeing everything everywhere all at once, thus the title of the movie. And her temptations slash like motivations, I guess you could say, is like trying to understand that everything. Grappling that, with it. Yeah, kind of grappling with like the expansive everything which eventually leads to her nihilism which kind of drives her to try and take evelyn down with her her revelation and death i would say is that split consciousness and shattered mind from her trauma that leads her to becoming like you know transforming morphing into the super ego that is jobu tubaki and hunting down all the evelyns one by one to see if she can understand them and connect in love understanding wow what a wild concept whoa however along this journey her event horizon is of course trying to understand everything but instead creating the nothing burger everything bagel sucked into a bagel and her atonement slash resolution final thing is reaching that understanding with her mother and not destroying the multiverse. Through the power of love. Now, it's actually not her final thing, because typically our villain's arc does have a legacy, and oh, I would true, say true. this might sound pretty basic, but considering that Joy Jobutupaki is not really a villain, her legacy is being a daughter. Evelyn says... 
basically towards the end of the film, that she wouldn't rather be anywhere else than with her daughter by Joy. And I think because we don't know much about Joy as a character, we know more about Tupaki's origins, but we do feel for Joy as a real person. I don't think this is bad legacy to have. You reach that point of understanding and you finally have a decent bond with your parent and a bond with yourself. Absolutely. It's kind of getting to that acceptance Mm -hmm. or that final stage of grief and trauma that usually goes with it is just getting to that point of like, you know what? This is just kind of okay. Yeah. So not a traditional villain's arc hits all of the main points, but joy. Jobu. I I wouldn't say she's a villain. However, she she does have some archetypes that yes, we should discuss. Yes, she definitely hits some points in there. Yeah. I think the main one, obviously most people are like, yeah, she's the bad guy. But if you're looking at it through kind of a maybe rose-colored glasses or a more understanding lens, I would say that Jobu Tupaki specifically is more of an anti-villain. She has evil intentions with sympathetic actions. Definitely. Specifically definitely. with her trying to get her mom to see her point of view like yeah she might be trying to kill off the wrong evelyn to find the right one that understands her but oh my gosh anti-villains are so fun they're like so rare and like i think it really helps to make a complex character like you know how like we went through like that whole arc with like Mm anti-heroes oh man i just love anti-villains it's so good to like see it's a refreshing concept yeah i agree with that she could also fall in some of uh like the archetypes of like villain mastermind you could say i think she's posed as that if you look at the film in black and white like usually get on plane yeah Yeah. like just like on surface level Mm -hmm. she's brilliant she's ruthless she has, like, all these diabolical plans. She, like, knows more than anyone else in the multiverse because she's literally seen everything yeah, she's first. OP. Yeah. And she directly opposes the protagonist, Evelyn. Yeah, you can see it's kind of, like, authority figure almost in this kind of sense since she was, like, the first. Not only is she, like, the master of mind, but, mm-hmm. like... She was pushed to the breaking point to be the first to understand and to harness and to perfect, much to her own chagrin. But she also uses her abilities to oppose characters free will not to the huge extent of the movie like most stereotypical villains would most notably for me was when she forces the cop to dance in like a chiquita banana style costume and act as a human shield getting him (laughs) shot before everything turns to confetti um i think for me that stands out as like her kind of controlling the situation one could argue that is her controlling a different multiverse but i think in that verse Specifically, she was able to morph things at will and basically use someone as a human shield against their will. Yeah, and I think a part of it is because her nihilism can kind of leave her sometimes emotionally blunted, which kind Mm. of leads to being a bully, you Mm. could say. Sometimes she's just like, fuck this guy. Yeah, laughing in the face of the opposer. Or like, you know, turning things, like random things into things or like, killing people at will she's like ah nothing matters i don't care like i'm gonna push this kid downstairs because i like enjoy this moment typically though a bully archetype is a straightforward opposition to the protagonist i didn't ever see her bullying her mom per se yeah so maybe like that archetype doesn't like fit as much yeah i think there may be some snippets of it but it's not the overall of what contributes to tupaki as a character i think one could argue 
as well that maybe the disturbed archetype might play into her a little bit. Oh, uh, but she really like saw it or like Yeah, we've covered a lot of the disturbed kind of people. If you don't know already, it's those with evident psychological problems, especially inner personality struggles. You could kind of say yes with her depression and anxiety, but that's mostly manifested in Joy Prime, not Jobu Tupaki. And right. I also say even if Jobu Tupaki is grappling with this as part of her nihilism, it's not her core, and it puts her into no. a very boring binary box. She it's, it's has... reducing her down, like, way too yeah, much. Yeah, she may have mental illness, but she's not disturbed, and that's what makes her evil. Right. Because she's also not evil. Yeah, she's, like, not evil, even if she does kind of develop this, like, borderline personality disorder. That's, like, not, like, disturbed, in my opinion. That's just kind of yeah. inconvenienced. It's a factor. A- she is so much more of a multifaceted character, even though she's not the protagonist. I would say it's unjust to just fit her into that box and be like, yeah, the end. I think and plus, she- like, she kind of comes to, like, a resolution at the end of where maybe she still has a bit of it, but she, like, takes responsibility over it. Yeah. I think overall, though, especially through... Evelyn's arc of learning how to verse jump, I think Tupaki is posed as more of an equal. I would agree with that. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, by the end of the film, not only do they share the same skills, the same knowledge, but they also kind of come to the same like emotional and also like theoretical common ground. Yeah, it's kind of like a not a game of catch up, but they're meeting each other at each step of the journey. Obviously, Jobu has first learned how to traverse the multiverse, then Evelyn does. Jobu has created the Everything Bagel and is falling into nihilism, and then Evelyn does. And then Evelyn reaches a point of understanding, and Jobu does too. Yes. And so does Joy. And I would say now, since we're about to get into it soon, that their ethics are kind of different. Mm-hmm. And you can see this, like, this equal kind of trope in, like, things like um, Death Note. Mm-hmm. Where you have, like, uh, like Light Yagami, and then you have oh. L. One thinks that, like, you know, killing criminals without, like, trial is, like, just, and one does not. But they're, like, equal in terms of, like, skills and understanding and whatnot. Right. Of their health. power level matches up. Yeah, and so I think this one is really the closest of all the archetypes. Mm-hmm. And they have all this, but one is representing uh, nihilism. And at one point, Evelyn does share that nihilism, but I think... As we saw, that changes into what I believe is existentialism. Yeah, that's fair. And so it still has that kind of weird, freeing, like, nothing matters kind of thing, but more of, like, in a positive spin of, like, acceptance of that nothing matters and being able to kind of confront it and change it in a way that doesn't just be all like, well, nothing matters, screw everything. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. (laughs) Well, before we get into Philosophy Corner, do you want to cover some of the alignments of Tupaki? Oh, shit. Yeah, I almost completely forgot. That's all right. <laughs> I, I was getting too excited. That's My philosophy right. bones Put were on going. Your philosophy hat? Not yet. Soon. <laughs> okay. So, villain alignments. You could say chaotic evil, but I if really... If you're looking at this in black and white. Yeah, if you're looking to, like, this is straight, like, on the head, I don't think it's chaotic evil, but... Chaotic evil will do whatever they want, especially if, like, it hurts other people, like, no regard for the rules, which you could see that, like, you know, making cops into confetti, like, killing people. Um, Hunting down all Evelyns in the multiverse. Like, destroying buildings or whatever. They often kind of, like, work outside of the system, 
you know, she's like in every single system, but like it kind of works outside of the system because she was pushed so far that she got fractured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of works. And uh, it kind of has like a meaningless slaughter and destruction, but it's not really considered like super practical. So I guess you could say chaotic evil, but I don't really think it comes from a place of evil, actually. No, and I don't think it's really a fitting alignment to put on her. Like we said, if you're looking at it black and white, yeah. I mean, towards the beginning, Alpha Wayman even says this of Tupaki, quote, She's an omniversal being with unimaginable power, an agent of pure chaos with no real motives or desires, unquote. And that's what you see at face value until you understand she wants to be understood. So face value, maybe chaotic evil. She's a lot deeper than that, I think. Yeah. I think the most fitting for Joy and Jobu Tupaki is the chaotic neutral alignment where she's an individual who follows her heart and generally shirks the rules and traditions. She, in her normal verse doesn't really care about the familial expectations, even though it weighs on her a lot. She wants to be out and open and live her life. And then when interacting with Evelyn in the multiverse, she makes the rules because she controls everything. But it's not necessarily, as we learn when she creates the Everything Bagel, to destroy everything. It's just to destroy herself. It's not nearly as evil as most people would think. I mean, really... I mean, it's it not should be her riot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do you think there's like any other evil? Like, I mean, there's some evil with like the like the killing of like Alpha Evelyn per mm-hmm. se. Mm-hmm. But do you think that she can kind of justify that with like other Evelyns going throughout the multiverse, or does like the killing always put her in the evil category? See, maybe I'm looking at her through too much of rose-colored lenses. I, I, giving benefit of the doubt. I would imagine she's like, well, Evelyn still exists somewhere. I'm not, like, eradicating her from existence until she's ready to go with me. So whenever I view Jobu Tupaki, I see her as a chaotic force, but not evil for the sake of evil, not, like, stupid evil or anything. Like, she, for me, she falls outside of the evil alignment because I just feel like she's misunderstood and wants to be understood. Yeah, and I would think so too. I don't think like she was like evil by nature. I think no. uh, she was pushed to evil. Um, and like do evil actions, but not evil at the essence. Yeah, I don't think she was evil at the essence. I really think that that chaotic neutral does fit very well. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of her like evil actions come from a place of like misguidance or like misinformation kind of. Yeah, that's the, the chaos aspect of it. And we can see at the end that she is not still like plotting or devious or like waiting for the next chance. No, she pretending. reaches her hand out of the bagel and gets help. And in the normal verse reconciles with her mother i I mean you could even like almost go on the argument that maybe she's chaotic good in some sense i mean if you can maybe i mean if you consider that like she like selflessly or benevolently is trying to abolish meaninglessness what if all this is to like abolish meaninglessness from like everything like from the world by simply like removing slash like conjoining everything that could be argued as really good intentions like hey i'm going to make like i'm going to remove the meaninglessness but like simply by removing everything it's just just, like a really bad like strategy i think it's almost the opposite of that because in effort to try and understand everything she views it as meaningless but then isn't trying to 
bring everything into meaninglessness, just herself. Unless you're considering self-annihilation as, like, the crux of... It could be that in a certain viewpoint, the Observer creates the entire uh, universe. True. If we're looking at it through Jobu's lens, then everything she sees, everything she does... Is is basically reality. Yeah, so even if she is sucking people into the black hole, that is her reality. That is part of her... Right, but I mean, I think that could be stretching it a little bit. Yeah. I would say probably still chaotic neutral. I think so. I think so. I mean, what twenty something isn't a little chaotic? Right, and we all went through <laughs> our anarchy phases. We well, all tried to overthrow anarchy, a government though. to install communism. I mean, you destroyed Get- a few galaxies, but oh, that was back in my old days. Oh, I- the good old days. <laughs> I also feel like, at least for joy. Being a second generation Chinese American, it's that neutrality of her growing up in an American culture and also trying to respect her parents and her grandparents' culture while affirming her own identity too. Like that's not saying that's anything villainous that she's doing, but she is trying to understand and appreciate both sides, I guess, towards the end when reconciling with her family. Which, and also being loyal to her girlfriend. Yeah. All of that of like trying to go with both sides. Maybe also you could rep, like say like that's neutral, you know. It's not like yeah. leaning heavily on one side or heavily on the other mm-hmm. side. Not saying that like any one culture is like good or one culture is evil. Yeah. Just like it's, it's not it black just, and white. Yeah, it, it's not black and white. And she just kind of stands like in that neutral ground of being able to uh, understand and trying to find her place in both within worlds. the chaos. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, find how to organize your stacks of IRS receipts and go. I know this is where the karaoke machine goes. I know this is where the divorce papers go. Exactly. <laughs> All, right. All right. Can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it? You ready? Put on your philosophy hat. Oh, oh. All right. Got my philosophy hat. Describe your philosophy hat to the audience. Okay. So it's like this nice, no one laugh. Hey, you. It's a fedora. No, no, no. <laughs> Neck beard. No, it's not that kind of fedora. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a wide brim one. So it's more like a cowboy hat. You're not selling it, hon. <laughs> okay, so it's like a cowboy hat. It's like made of felt, and it has a like a band on it, and then it has a ace of spades on one side attached to it, and a crow on the other. It's a philosophizing hat. Probably don't ever say it's a fedora again. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. And there's also a secret button where a laser comes out of the top. Nice. All according to World Domination Committee seminars when you need to laser point to a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. I like it. I dig it. I just have a black witch hat, but you know, it's functional. We all gotta start somewhere. Fair enough. All right. We're in philosophy corner. We're wearing our hats. Don your hats, listeners. We're talking about nihilism right now because I would say that is the real villain of the movie. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Like we were talking about earlier, like you could see how much darker the Joker film went than this movie does. Yeah. Where nihilism is taken to its full extreme, whereas this one... Um, it kind of battles with other ideologies, such as, like, existentialism. Yeah, there's a little bit more of an optimistic note, especially towards the end of Everything Everywhere All at Once, whereas Joker just kind of gives in to the nihilism. Now, talking about Tupaki's character and her nihilistic tendencies, according to TV tropes, because, you know, we love them, they classify her as a straw nihilist, which is, quote, an extreme version of the cynic and a specific type of the philosopher, put on your hat, who delivers despair speeches and breaks people by talking about life, the universe, 
and everything, or at least how meaningless it is to fight for any of them, unquote. Which I think we kind of see Tupac do throughout a fair amount of the film. She's cynical. She has a little bit of her philosophical and sing-songy speeches that are kind of despairing, especially when you realize that it's about her wanting to end herself and kind of shatters her mom's worldview. I mean, especially considering that she has access to all of these alternative timelines at the same time, she believes nothing matters, literally creates a black hole to kill herself. But the movie actively disproves her mentality, with her mother Evelyn showing that love and happiness are all that people have in the face of this cosmic insignificance. So making meaning out of nothing by the people you form bonds with. Yes, and I would even say that you could form bonds with like yourself. In mm-hmm. fact, I think that's where like this existentialism comes from. I'm now going to read a little bit from the Looking at Philosophy, the scary textbook I mentioned earlier, which isn't that scary. It's actually uh, very nice. This is how you kind of see that arc going with like oneself. And so this is kind of about Sartre's philosophy, which is a very fun existential philosopher, crazy French dude. In this, it's like the same way that I discovered nothingness separates me from myself. There is nothingness between me and my past. I am not who I was. And between me and my future, the person I will be is not who I am. This realization again makes me aware that I await myself in the future. Anguish in the fear of not finding myself there. Of no longer even wishing to be there. Just like how Jobu Tubaki doesn't even want to be there. I think we also see that a little bit with Evelyn's sentiments too, thinking about, oh, I could be a movie star or a kung fu master or a pro chef in different realities where she is not the worst Evelyn. Exactly. Anyway, this anguish stems from the discovery that myself is not stable, a solid entity that lasts through time. Rather, it is a creation that I must make and remake from moment to moment. Not only must I create myself, but I must also create my world. I do so by bestowing values on the world. According to the pre-Sardian view of freedom and values, you're basically condemned to freedom. And you have to choose. I mean, with all of these multiverses, yeah. Going off the book here, it keeps going, but to shorten it, basically you get to kind of create your own meeting. And so if nothing matters, then anything matters to you if you kind of enjoy it or do whatever you want with it in that range you I could guess say and based, you can also enjoy the like the absurdity of like everything right based on that and seeing Tupaki and Joy's arc I think she kind of starts at least with her villain's journey as an apathetic nihilist and eventually an optimistic existentialist yeah I throw around too many words but we've talked about nihilism she is apathetic in her future and her existence And then towards the end, with her mom's realization, they both go, everything's crazy and nothing makes sense, but we can hold on to something better. Sarah also has this really good metaphor. Uh, I don't know if I'm I'm remembering exactly correctly, but I think especially with Evelyn comes to like the realization of uh, or the acceptance that really all of us in life, our life is like a car driving but we're not the drivers. We're, yeah, we're just the angry passenger just yelling, no, take a left, no, you you missed the left, no, come on! And so we can, like, 
we can kind of try to steer where we're going, but it doesn't always work out that way. And sometimes we just have to kind of go with the ride yeah. instead of just being all like, no, I'm getting out and opening the door. It's much more fun when um, you suddenly see a bunch of Cadillacs sticking straight up out of the dirt randomly. Just out of nowhere, like, who put this here? Oh, hey, no, no, I wanted to see that. Go back. Anyway. <laughs> There's also another Sarge, like Sarge appearing all over this. Like he, he gets Damn. his fingers in nihilism and existentialism so another much. Another funky French guy. And it actually relates back to what our first episode, right? Oh, yes. Our very first episode, we covered Hell is Other People, the webcomic adapted into a series, but that's brought from philosophy. You were yeah. talking about, um, what is it, being trapped by people's perceptions earlier on. Yeah, when Especially they have, like, uh, like the grandfather traps Evelyn. and Traps then- Joy. Mm-hmm. And in Hell is Other People, in the episode we covered, how jong is feeling trapped by the people that are watching him. Exactly. His roommates. And also in the book No Exit, you have, like, three people who are, like, dead and can go, like, move on to the afterlife. But... They can't seem to do it based on the perceptions of, like, the other people inside mm-hmm. of their room. Getting stuck in your ruts based on how you think other people think about you. Exactly. And so super fascinating. <laughs> There's not much really, a, like, a resolution <laughs> to it, but uh, I think you can find, like, some freedom and break out of it. It's yeah. been a really long time since I've done my philosophy. I'm a little rusty. That's all right. With this movie, we can see that they don't fully heal all of the wounds they don't fully resolve the generational trauma but through communication joy and evelyn are able to kind of break out of the perceptions that people have on them to kind of fulfill themselves better and to fulfill their relationships with each other better too i also think uh what's kind of fun and interesting and you kind of see in the uh movie is there's not just sar has like tackled this but like so many other philosophers like Parmenides, but there's also uh, one that is pretty fun, which is Hegel. Some people actually might know Hegel as the guy who inspired Marx to actually write the uh, Communist Manifesto. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Based on his like theory of history, and one of like the theories of like history is that like one thought pattern you can do to kind of create new thought patterns is. You have like a thesis and then you can do an antithesis. So you posit something and then you take the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And then so now you have these two things. And then to maybe make a new thought, you take the thesis and you take the antithesis and you try to combine them together into something new ground. Yeah, it's like the middle ground, which is like becoming something. Mm -hmm. And then from there, that becoming something starts again as the new thesis. And then you take an antithesis. And then you just do that in a fractal pattern over and over again. So you could actually say that you have something like being, and then you have nothing, which is like the bagel, right? Like you have mm-hmm. everything and, and, like, nothing. Like, and nothing because, you know, if everything is there, then you try to like, like everything tries to reflect on itself. It doesn't see anything. And so if it doesn't see anything, it creates nothing. So that's the antithesis if it tries to reflect upon itself, just like how like, Joy is trying to reflect upon herself, and all she can see is nothing because she's everywhere. Mm-hmm. She can't not be there because she's everywhere. And so, but if you kind of join those two together, it becomes 
something quite new, something individual, someone like a person that is just Joy or um, like Tubaki or something like that. But then you can go back again and then if that's just Joy again, now it's Joy and then you can see nothing and then it repeats the cycle over and over again. Like a, like a recursion. A recursion. But if you like have like this acceptance of change, you can kind of find a place of like peace in this pattern and enjoy the crazy windy road of the recursion patterns. Fair like, enough. Yeah. I guess in a way to bring it back a little bit to modernity, especially because this is such a huge influence on the movie, I think that ties in a lot with the internet. A lot oh, of yeah. people at the beginning of the internet obviously were like, this is great. We got cats, we got porn, we got chat rooms and catalogs and photo blogs and stuff. As things evolve, I think, at least from what I've heard and experienced, the internet has kind of been deemed as a form of hellscape where there's too much information, there's too much hate speech, there's too much infighting amongst people. But if you take that concept of the polar opposites and merging them together, having the realization that the internet is a tool created by people, it's a matter of how you manage it and how you connect within it, that you can kind of find a middle ground that it's not a good or a bad thing. Yeah, I think it's also an interesting thing that's explored in a lot of different uh, sci-fis. I believe like Ghost in the Shell has mm-hmm. it or a few other things, but like uh, net diving or like going into the web like really, really far. Serial experiments lane. Yeah, you can kind of maybe lose your identity because there's so if much you go information. too far or, in. If you yeah. put on too much of a mask based on how other people might see you from your web persona. Yeah, you kind of like entropy out mm. and you lose what kind of made you you initially and you become kind of like part of like this weird, I guess you could say like overmind, which we see like a lot of people like, like, like it's like almost like the internet has its own mind and thought process. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just like meet people where you're like, okay. You are like literally like we're in the same algorithms. Yeah, like we're in the same algorithms or or whatnot, and like their identity has become tied to like a sea of information, Mm. which is really interesting. And it's made a lot of people actually kind of lose meaning if they go too far. Yeah, they kind of lose themselves and become nihilistic. And you see a lot of that in um, things like the incel community, uh, for say, mm. like they get lost down a rabbit hole where they actually kind of lose the plot, I would say. Yeah. And can, uh, end up doing like really violent things that are, uh, not so great. Violent to other people or themselves? Uh, it could be mostly to themselves mm-hmm. they, cause they might not see, uh, much hope in, uh, different things. They feel, uh, helpless, just like Tupaki felt yeah. with being everywhere. You know, everywhere by yourself, and also not maybe reaching your potential. Kind of like how like Evelyn feels. It's always Instagram models, or it's always gonna be like someone richer than you, or maybe someone's like created something better than you, or maybe you thought of a new idea and you go on the internet. Oh, it's It's already already there, and so nothing like you feel like nothing you do means anything, even though it should be meaningful to the people around you. Mm -hmm. That's where you should really be focusing on. If you like, if you dive too far into the net. You lose your identity and maybe you're not connecting with yourself as much or like close people around you and trying to form something that 
even if it's not unique out there, you can just accept that it is you there and you're enjoying it in that moment. And you come to a more peaceful resolution of that. I guess also from a creative standpoint too, at least that's one thing I grapple a lot with is like having new creative ideas for art. They say great artists steal. I'm, I'm not stealing stuff, but storytelling. Wait, you're not an AI bot? I'm just kidding. Beep, boop, hit me. <laughs> no, most storytelling is iterations through generations from oral storytelling passed down. Stories have constantly evolved. I mean, sometimes it's for the better, sometimes it's for the worse. We see too many revamped Disney movies. But there are some also really interesting takes on, like, classic literature. Like, I I used to be a very big fan of a web series adaptation of the short novel Carmilla. Like, even if it is not entirely unique, you can revive something or morph it into something that you can have new understanding with and share it with a community. Maybe that's just me trying to toot my own horn and hang on to be a creative, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Or like, even if you don't feel like you're creative enough, just remix something. Everything's a remix. new. Yeah. It's based off of something that existed. Yeah. Everything is a remix. Everything is a remix. Every thought that's ever happened is already happened. I mean, if you just remix it, it's kind of new and fun. And maybe it already exists, but maybe it hasn't existed in like your little like fiefdom, so to speak. And if it has, maybe you can just vibe and be like, oh, we created the same thing. Kind of like, um, this is weird, it's old, but um, calculus was invented in two places (laughs) at the same time. Lieben has invented calculus and so did Newton. Now, they hated each other for it. But, I mean, imagine how cool it would have been like, bro, I had the same idea. We should be friends. Let's make math textbooks and torture generations together. <laughs> I mean, they could have made like even cooler math and maybe they would have made like math easier and not so miserable if they had been friends True. rather than like, you know, like, rah. Fair enough. I don't know. Just something to think about. Yeah. So I think the crux of it is nihilism is the real villain of the movie, but it can be conquered by love and community as basic shit as that sounds or just accepting the existence and being like i'm here cool let's chill i'm here i won't disappear yeah and basically you probably won't ever disappear i mean if you die you're still gonna be stardust you were stardust before do you remember before you were alive yeah it's gonna be that it's just a long queue it's just a really long queue you're just gonna be some stardust and you're gonna get formed into a new alien you might not like your body but you know you can just wait and then get a different new alien body it's all gonna be fine you're gonna be fine Okay, maybe the heat death of the universe happens. That happens. Hey, hey, you're going a little too far. Rule number one, don't panic. Don't panic and bring your towel. And also, theoretically, another Big Bang would happen. Or either that or you're just so chill. Imagine the smoothest weed high forever. <laughs> Sounds pretty nice. A good nap. You ever you ever have that good nap? Mm, chef's kiss. In our discussion of nihilism as an overarching theme throughout this movie, we've also talked about the ominous symbol, ad nauseum, the black bagel torus, circular shape with no beginning or end. It acts kind of like an Ouroboros of the repetitive cycles of life and how you can easily fall down a rabbit hole of thinking that life is just laundry and taxes until you die. Now, I wanted to bring up an alternative symbol that we see we touched on it a little bit earlier i'm mostly thinking in terms of thematics and aesthetics the foil to this black bagel is essentially an aesthetic and metaphoric inversion of it which is the googly eye the googly eye not only 
is used as a symbol throughout the movie to counter the black hole, but is also basically the opposite of it. It is a white circle with a black hole in the center. So the black hole is still a part of the googly eye. But as we had learned from Evelyn's understanding of Wayman bringing life and childlike whimsy to the scenario to bring people together, the goofiness of a googly eye in its entirety holds this hope and childlike whimsy. So even though it has the similar premises of the everything bagel, the darkness within, there is still hope in the googly eye. But maybe I just love googly eyes too much. I love modern inventions. Funny you should say that. I actually, uh, while we, I was doing some research, I saw a really good uh, YouTube video on um, this, and it like classified this movie as uh, metamodernism. Meta? Like as in Facebook meta? No, no, no. God, no. I'm fuck. sorry. I'm teasing. Uh, so if it was like, it, it was about metamodernism and like, how it's being kind of crafted and how this film is like almost a perfect representation of this concept and i think it'd be really nice if a lot of art is kind of going that way because mm. you have like modernism which is like industrial age kind of like like after like or, or like around like world war ii or like after that kind of region of like you know i guess modern things i mean that's the easiest way to kind of explain it, i also right? think kind of the reaffirmation of like American dream. We got the good old guys that are, they saved the country. Right. And then after that, or like the like embrace of like capitalism and like flying cars and like, you know, like the Jetsons and stuff. Ah. And then you have like uh, where we've been for a very long time, which is postmodernism. It kind of like started like around like the Andy Warhol I guess kind of period mm -hmm. or like you have uh, Banksy who's very like a postmodernist and postmodernism is really just like a critique on uh, modernism because modernism is like oh look at all this stuff isn't it great we're doing so well we're doing so well and then postmodernism is all like oh my gosh look at the corruption like look how this is like being treated like you know it kind of points out meaninglessness yeah. Of a lot of stuff that was touted as the best, everything you should aspire to. Yeah, and kind of like things of like when uh, Banksy's artwork sold for like, I think like millions and millions of dollars or something like that. And then uh, as soon as it's sold, it gets shredded. Kind of supposed to like showing like the meaninglessness of like this money being thrown into this artwork. But that, didn't that also make it value more yeah i made it more valuable so <laughs> lost the plot yeah i kind of lost the plot in that one but i mean that was its intention right mm -hmm. um it's supposed to be kind of a critique on that entire uh culture mm -hmm. as it is it's kind of like makes for kind of depressing movies sometimes like yeah, it has like a dark tinge to a lot of postmodern elements like books movies right and like so the movie that keeps on coming up is like the joker again very 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 postmodern yeah and it doesn't have a particularly happy ending. It has a very no. It doesn't leave you with a tinge of hope, or at least when we watched it, it feels very hopeless. All is chaos. Nothing matters. Exactly, and especially it, it, like it comments on like mistreating a mentally ill guy and like not you know just basically exploiting a lot of uh, people who don't have the power mm -hmm. to uh, fight back, and then that turning into just exploitation on top of exploitation until like the whole system breaks yeah and then so the argument is is that okay well where do you go from postmodernism after the critiques and whatnot post, is you post. go 
Post, 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 post. Post, post Malone. Post Malone. Post, post mates. <laughs> um, no, uh, the, the theory is uh, metamodern, which takes postmodernism and says, you know what, you're entirely valid. But we can also look on the bright side and kind of go like, hey, modernism did have some pretty cool shit going to the moon mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So it's kind of like incorporates that like uh, thesis, uh, antithesis, synthesis. Bringing them together. Bringing both modernism and postmodernism weirdly together into something that's metamodern. And that metamodernism goes, yeah, this has a lot of faults. And look at all the great things it did. And then like kind of sitting there and accepting that fact and enjoying it. This is seen when movies reference movies yeah like breaking the fourth wall or being self-referential that meta humor i think came into prominence at least in like the 2010s onwards yes most definitely you can see a lot of the aspects of um this inside of this film specifically when all like the bad sides of like the postmodern like uh, film with like uh, the nihilism and like everything sucks it's all meaningless like you know the irs is up your ass and there's like not much you can do about it like even though you're trying your best it's you're still fucked the cycle of taxes is coming to get you for your cycling machines of laundry that you don't like in the first place exactly but you have your modernism because you're like you're in a new country um, you still have that American dream aspect, even if it's kind of tarnished. But right. you still want to put on the facade for your family. And also have um, be in a queer uh, relationship, which might be more of a modern thing. It might, um, like, it's you always know, been around. It it's just common. more at the forefront and like hopefully more accepted by people. That's what I mean. Yeah. I, I would say it's more uh, at least like legally accepted in the West. Like you won't get tortured. Uh, uh, hopefully yeah. hopefully you won't get killed by like you know the catholic church or something or right, the spanish inquisition right. is what i mean it's a lot more predominant yes and so you have that kind of that modernism aspect and so you can kind of like take like these two things together and mix them into kind of like the acceptance of all like hey this stuff is really cool and then like also all this shit sucks but we can kind of accept that and live together in like this new society and have some hope figure it out it's basically like some postmodernism, but like with hope (laughs) with a tinge of optimism pessimistic optimism and you can see a lot of also the references of movies like when there's like hot dog fingers inside of the movie Mm -hmm. evelyn watches a romance movie uh, about these like hot dog finger people and then it later comes into play that she uh, is in a romance with hot dog fingers and so she can realize that and like learn from what other people uh are doing on screen and kind of like mixing that with her own reality just as we're doing to them so it's kind of like layers of abstraction with the metamodernism and kind of playing with our own perception of postmodernism and viewing experience kind of getting us to try to think about what we're doing when we're consuming media on a different level there's also another scene that does that pretty well when she is in the film star universe she is watching a kung fu film that she has filmed on screen and midway through the actual movie that us as an audience are watching credits roll but they are the in-world credits that she is seeing while being at her film premiere so it's a little bit jarring but it's calling us to observe her observing herself observing herself and it's kind of that 
mirror reflection, like going all the way down, all the way up in some kind of spiral of viewing. Or like going with that fractal pattern that I brought up earlier with Hegel, right? Exactly. That's what it's entirely going for. And you know what? I kind of enjoy it because I kind of like the hope and the mind-bendy funness of uh, reflection. Exactly. As if you were nearing the end of a podcast and the hosts were trying to analyze what made them villainous this month and decided to try and inspire themselves with the villain's anthem. Mm-hmm. This might be like r slash whoosh for some people. I don't know. It's kind of pretentious to try and make this meta. Wait. Until epiphany occurs! Exactly! And they were able to create their outro, outro bitch! So, what made you villainous this month? Well... I accidentally left a suspicious USB at an enemy organization's place as I had to make a quick getaway. Apparently, they found the USB. Oh, yes. You cover your tracks. I tried to cover the tracks the best I can, but I had to get out of there with my life. I tried to retrieve the USB, and we were able to destroy the sensitive information on it before World Domination Secrets got out. But not before they found out that it was me who was trying to infiltrate their organization. So... They sent a spy to infiltrate my organization, and I was at a good ball, you could say, a good party. It was mostly a picnic outside. A guy, who was an agent, pretending to be homeless, came up to me, trying to steal tequila, which I knew he was going to poison and try to give back to us. So, I valiantly defended it. Still thinking he was just a homeless man. But I had a sneaking suspicion it was the organization. And then it was confirmed because as soon as I foiled his plans, he punched me in the face really hard. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, interesting. Um, so what did you really do for your weekend? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> that is actually what happened. All these shenanigans to protect World Domination Committee secrets. Well, I, I'm honored you're such a valiant member and that you'll take it to the grave. Yes, yes. Thank you. But, uh... Yeah, uh, no, the guy was just really messed up. Yeah. Off his rockers. He's off his rockers. Yeah, and uh, try to calm him down a little bit. Uh, you were at the... Yes. Yeah. What did you think of, like went down with the whole situation? I, I saw a guy kind of circling and then getting angry for no reason. Like, n- nobody was doing anything. He seemed under the influence of something. And then I saw you get punched in the face and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, everybody was trying to be like, dude, leave the thing. Some guy came up and started kicking him, and I stepped between them, and I was like, everybody, leave. Stop fighting each other. Yeah, I didn't want to uh, give the enemies any attempts to use propaganda against me, because if I would have punched back, it would have looked like I was being up a homeless man. It would have been all over the tabloids. It would have been horrible. But eventually, I think they were able to calm the man down. And uh, he was escorted to the exit (laughs) of this great party. So that's what made me villainous this month, is I infiltrated an organization. The USB was destroyed. Um, An agent punched me in the face. And I was able to get away scot-free without any propaganda against my name. I guess kind of tying in with that, I brought a sword to the aforementioned ball. Everyone needs a sword. Every... World Domination Committee members almost have a sword. It's a mandatory part of the uniform. You also must wear black and eat pizza. 
This is coming from the man with a fedora. <laughs> but it's a cool fedora. It's, long, it's not an actual fedora. It's it, a philosophy fedora. Yes, yes. You know what? I'll take a picture of it. It, it the links in the doobly do. <laughs> yeah. So I brought a sword to a pinata party. It's a plastic gladius. And I thought it'd be a good idea that since it's a pinata party, we should leave the twigs on the ground alone and act like real tough babies. So we destroyed an overly inflated uh, bag of groceries that is too expensive for anyone to afford. It was not actually a bag of groceries. It was a box painted like an overly inflated bag of groceries. With groceries inside of it or candy. Yeah. Candy and a paper baguette and (laughs) let the group go ham with a sword and... It looked pretty fucking majestic to see a bunch of adults attacking a pinata with a sword in a park. It was pretty epic, to be fair. Yeah. Although at one point, we did have to relinquish the sword because it was too powerful. There was somebody there who was way strong and almost defeated the pinata before anyone else could rip its guts out. So we had to take a little break of the sword. Well, I would say that if you want to break the pinata, that is the conspiracy of the IRS. And you would like to be part of the World Domination Committee. And get a sword. And get a sword. Follow us on whatever interface that you listen to podcast on and leave us a review. You, you motherfuckers, you remember the beginning of this episode, You're right? going to be the villains next episode if you don't leave reviews. Mm-hmm. So do it, bitch. Infiltrate the Wired with us at worlddomination.ca. Send us some villainous correspondence to committee at worlddomination.ca. You can read our snarky remarks on the hellscape that is Twitter at the WDC podcast. No, we're not doing that thread shit. We don't have the attention span for every social media all at once, all of the time. <sighs> and I already deal with enough threads. <sighs> See what shenanigans I'm up to, maybe with some threads, at trend.tech. T-R-Y-N-N dot T-E-C-H. Proliferate the gay agenda by reading what we do in the closet. Well, that's all, fuckers! This podcast was brought to you by... Bad Baby. Productions. Good night, babies.